It's over! It's over! Dance it! What? No, not that. That's not going to be over for a few more days, but 2020 is over! It's 2021! Congratulations to all those of you who made it. Welcome to Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Guess what? Another great episode for you today. Listen, before we move on, and we're going to move right into our to-go segment, I just have to remind you, go to roadlesstravelproductions.org, click on merchandise, and get yourself some merch from Road Less Traveled. And thank you to whoever mysteriously sent me my own Road Less Traveled off-road mug with my name on it as a mystery Christmas gift. Thank you. It's lovely. And you can get one, too. Go to roadlesstraveledproductions.org, click on Merch, and get yourself a mug or a T-shirt or a sweatshirt or something. Let's not waste any time. The pandemic is still in control. We're still under some kind of quarantine. The restaurants are suffering. Let's hear what Kyle Locanti has to tell us about her favorite to-go restaurant. And then we will immediately get to the fascinating interview with Stephen McKinley Henderson. What a great guy. A lot of fun to talk to. First time I've ever had any conversation with the man. And boy, was it a thrill for me to talk to him. But first, here's Kyle Locanti with some to-go advice. So what's the first one that you'd like to talk about? And uh, let's hear about it. Okay. So the first one I want to talk about is Webster's Bistro and Bar. Okay. It's a North Towns restaurant. It's in North Tonawanda. And for, you know, for the theater people who have any kind of uh, recognition about the Riviera, it's on that street in North Tonawanda. Okay. 102 Webster Street. For years, it was the quintessential greasy spoon. That's where you go after you were drinking on Oliver Street in North Tonawanda. I love those places. I love them. It was a place called Nestor's. And then this woman named Barbara Hughes, she is really the the sort of the, the brains and the powerhouse behind Webster's. And she's one of those people who just, she's a natural born leader. She's part of the Downtown Merchants Association and she's an amazing restaurateur. So she she turned this little greasy spoon place into a charming, lovely French bistro. And when I'm talking French cooking, it is superb French cooking. And it's, and it's, wow. it's a lovely, comfortable place. The food is great, the service is great. During the pandemic, they're obviously, they're sort of ratcheting up their takeout stuff because, you know, just because they have to. So they, they have, they have like a, a dinner for two night on Tuesdays. They have what they call bourbon burgers and beer special on Thursdays. They're doing, they do wine Wednesdays where you can get, you know, 50% off on a bottle of wine with your, you know, with your dinner. And they're also doing like Wednesdays is also winter French classics. So things like Castellet and beef bourguignon and crepes that are amazingly good. It's just all this, for takeout. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Oh my it's goodness. That sounds glorious. Of a place. And the food <laughs> is glorious. And when they're open again for everybody to come and enjoy the ambiance, it is lovely. It's just a lovely, lovely place. To me, this is the jewel of that neighborhood because it's, it is just, the food is exquisite. 
and service is great. People are wonderful. Their takeout, do you know if, if they'll carry out to your car or any of that kind of stuff? They do that. They work with DoorDash, so you can do, you, okay. you know, can do deliveries. deliveries. And they've really thought a lot about this takeout thing. I know you usually ask about the containers that the takeout yeah. goes into. It's it's a it's a bugaboo of mine. I don't know why. Sure. Well, I think that that's a you know that it's good that you're conscious of that and that you're making your listeners conscious of that. So what I asked Barbara specifically about it because I had gotten food in different containers at different times, and basically what they did is they have a combination. They do some of the biodegradable you know, that sort of pressed papery stuff. That cardboardy yeah. press, yes. And yes. then they also have some plastic, but it's a real kind of hefty plastic. So you can yes. wash it out and use it again as, you know, as you would use, you know, Tupperware or something. A lot of the restaurants are going to that. What bothers me is when they use uh, styrofoam because right. that's right. useless for everybody. Although one restaurant that I go to that I've mentioned before, Lucia's, they will use styrofoam only for something that is like a fried yeah. food and they don't want to seal yeah. all the moisture inside. But everything else is that plastic or the what you just mentioned, that sort of pressed cardboard yeah. that's, you know, you can throw out with the paper recycling. She, she explained to me that the reason they have a combination is they sort of tested out which containers kept the food the most close to what you would get if it was set down in front of you in the restaurant. And so for some that's things, terrific. they make, they use one container and for some things they use another, which, you know, you got to give them props for that because they're thinking they're thinking about the, yes. the a the best delivering the best product but also being mindful of the environment so you know can't mm -hmm. go wrong there oh one other thing about them what barbara has also done is two doors down a few years ago she took over whatever was in there and i don't even remember what was in there and she made an extension and they call it webster's kitchen and they do cooking classes they do private events so she either uses her own staff or brings in someone with a specialty to do cooking classes. Real fascinating, interesting stuff. If you go to the Webster Bistro, you know, if you just Google Webster Bistro or Webster Kitchen, those are the two establishments. All of the things that they are doing are listed, although for right now, things are very, very curtailed because of the pandemic. Is there anything you can tell us about their hours that we need to know? Like, are they not open on Sunday or Monday or anything on there that people should be aware of? For right now, they've got like Tuesday through Saturday is all their takeout in, and their hours are four to eight for, for the takeout on Tuesdays through Saturdays. Dinners only. Tuesday through Saturday, dinner takeout hours are four to eight. Tuesday through Saturday, there's, there must be closed Sunday and Monday. They must be Monday. closed Sunday and Monday. And one last time, the name of the place is? It is called Webster's Bistro and Bar. It's at 102 Webster Street in North Tonawanda. If you know where the Riviera is, it's across the street, sort of kitty corner. I wish it wasn't so far for me because it sounds like something I would love. Yeah, it's worth the trip. <laughs> Quickly, what's the other place that you wanted to mention? Well, my... Guilty pleasure is the Polish platter at the Polish Villa on Union Road. It's 2954 Union Road. It's it's right near the intersection of Como, Como Park Boulevard. Correct. It's right down the street from Jay's. It's exactly. It's down the street from Jay's. So I've passed it many times. Jay's is my go-to for Italian, and the Polish Villa is my go-to. And they have a Polish platter 
it's $18 or something, $18 or $19. And there is more food than any human can eat at one <laughs> sitting. And I love Polish cooking like you can't believe. And their pierogi and their guanki is, I don't know anybody else that, that any restaurant that does Polish food better than these folks do. And besides the Polish platter, you can get any combination of pierogi and it's wonky and it's um, the either the smoked or the fresh Polish sausage. It's just, it's wonderful food. I believe you because I have a dear sister-in-law, my, my youngest brother's wife, Nancy. They live in Arizona. They don't come to Buffalo that often, but when they do, she will not leave until she goes to the Polish yeah. villa and gets, I think she goes there, gets frozen pierogi to put in her suitcase to fly home with. Because, well, first of all, she lives in Arizona. There's no there's good no, food out yeah, there to begin no. with. Any place in the South, there's just no no good food. But she swears by the Polish villa. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that they're also doing takeout and that you yeah. <laughs> that you yeah. highly recommend the Polish platter. I do. It's wonderful. And they're, they're breakfast, lunch, and dinner people. They're open from eight in the morning to eight at night. Sunday through Thursday and eight in the morning till nine at night, Friday and Saturday. So, you know, they're always open. Both of them have really easy to navigate websites okay. where their full menus are available and all of their, you know, information about takeout and delivery and all of that kind of stuff is, is very easy to find either Polish Villa, Union Road or Webster's Bistro and Grill. You can, you can get all that information fairly simply. Sounds great, Kyle. Okay. Thank you so much. This is two, two more great restaurants for takeout. Two more great restaurants. Hopefully we won't need them too much longer, but I have a feeling it's going to go for a few more months. Yeah. Good to see you again. Thank you. You too, my friend. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Well, those are great restaurants. Thank you, Kyle. One way out there on Webster Street on, in North Tonawanda. I probably won't get to that one because I'm out here in Hamburg. And the, the food is, it sounds fantastic. It sounds, uh, sounds like fine dining. And if you don't want fine dining, if you're looking for something a little low-key, a little bit uh, more traditional, more ethnic, the Polish Villa sounds like the place for you. So while we're at it, I guess I'll uh, just talk about one of the restaurants that I like to frequent. It's out here. It's in Orchard Park, but it's really a little closer to South Buffalo. It's on Abbott Road on the corner of Berg. It's called The Dove. And this place, it, it seems like a, such an elegant restaurant when you go in there. It used to be the old Pony Post, but they've got a great great menu and it's all so reasonably priced a and they throw in all these extra food things like like, like a soup and um, and some little mini meatballs just just for the hell of it and bread it's they're really terrific I ordered some food there one night just for me I ordered a couple of entrees and Lisa comes out the young lady who manages the place Lisa comes out with this giant box of food for me it's and it was so good and i know it's some kind of italian cuisine but it's really it, it, it's not like your usual red sauce on everything and a pizza it, it's not that kind of italian cuisine it's different the dove on the corner of abbott road and berg in orchard park closer to lackawanna closer to south buffalo i cannot recommend it highly enough you will get enough food for an army believe me and now let's get right on to my interview with Mr. Stephen McKinley Henderson. If you're not quite sure who he is, take a look at the picture that accompanies this podcast and you'll say, oh, yeah, that guy, he's a Buffalo guy. 
I see him all over the place, and you're going to see him in more places. So here's my interview with Stephen McKinley Henderson here on RLTP's Off-Road. It's the funniest thing because my daughter convinced me to uh, subscribe to Hulu, and I thought, okay, uh, why am I doing this? There was something on there that she wanted me to see. And, of course, I'm a science fiction fan, and all of a sudden this thing comes up and it says devs. And I'm thinking, all right, well, let's give it a shot. <laughs> so, and who who shows up on my TV screen <laughs> right there in the first episode? And it's my it's one of my favorite things is because you turn up so often, whether it's in law and order or it's or it's in a movie, you know, you're well known as you know, the Buffalo actor. Well, I tell you, uh, when you mentioned devs. That was such a joy to be a part of that. Oh, I loved it. Well, I can tell you when when um, I had the first interview because uh, Alex Garland, who's a great, I mean, he's a fabulous writer and director. And, uh, and he did all of them. He did the whole series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like Aaron Sorkin. Uh, yes. Aaron Aaron does all the like all the episodes of whatever mm -hmm. he's doing, and right. uh, and now directs as well. That's but right. but Alex has moved into that seat too. So, but. Um, he uh, he told me he said, "Well, it's a nuclear, uh, well, it's a quantum physicist, but he's he's out of uh, step with the other scientists because they don't know much about poetry or music or the arts." And I said, "Oh man, I love this. I want this. I want you know. It's like you know, you, you go to interviews and you try to be cool. You know, you don't want to appear." And I was fine. I said, "You know, this is a job. Maybe I'll get it. Maybe not." When he told me what it was, I was like, oh, I want this. I oh, want the, this. the marriage of the arts and science, it's, it was just... You know, it, it was it's really something. And, uh, and the whole time I'm going, what the heck does DEVS stand for? And I'm not going to reveal it here. Well, he's, he's just brilliant. And uh, to get a chance to do a few lines from The Second Coming, man, you know, and, mm -hmm. and a few lines from... Um, well, yeah, the poetry, you know, I yes. don't even, so, yeah, as, as you say, I don't want to uh, tip Give the, too much away. <laughs> yeah, but it's, but it's wonderful. And, and the cast, man, the group, see, that's the thing when you, when you get to be a part of an ensemble like that oh. and we work together, you know, you, you can be on a film sometimes and you're on the film and somebody else is on the film and you never see them because you're not in those scenes, yes. but we were, we were all together most of the time. And so it was, a, it was absolutely joy. I could make the whole podcast just asking you questions about, about devs and all the characters <laughs> on there and, my, and Ron Swanson, who yeah. was so Nick Offerman for those lover. of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a, he's, he's a baseball lover and a, and a music lover and he's a musician himself, you know, and that, and, uh, Oh, I did not know and, that. And I'm a, my hometown is Kansas city. And he had a dear friend who was uh, connected to, the uh, the Negro League Baseball Museum uh, okay. in Kansas City, and mm -hmm. uh, but he, you know, so we just hit it off. And he's from Chicago originally, where I got my SAG card, and I used to work back in the day. And so, you know, we just had a lot of intersecting connections. But <laughs> Kaylee Spaney, this young young woman who plays a male in the series, a young series, male, yes. And uh, I met her the first day. We were I I knew from the script that. You know, I was looking for who's going to be the the who's kid that going? I'm that I'm close with. You know, mm -hmm. that we're very tight. And she comes up to me, and she says, 
you're Stephen McKinley Henderson. And I said, I said, yeah, I think so. And, you know, and she, but then she says, and you're from Missouri and you, you were born in, in Kansas city, Missouri, but you grew up in Kansas city, Kansas. And you went to school in Jefferson city, Missouri, before you went to Juilliard. And I'm saying, what is this child? What has she done? And, and then she said to me that my father was born in Kansas and grew up in Missouri. So he's like different from you, but she said, I'm from, I'm from Missouri. So I'm, I'm, I wanted to see you because we're both from the same part of the country in that. And I just thought this is wonderful. And we just hit it off. Like, just like that. And probably down there, you're as hometown famous as you are, as you are now hometown famous in Buffalo. Well, no, yeah, I, I, I'm more recognized here than I'd ever be. I mean, in terms of having worked in the city, I mean, I owe so much to the city of Buffalo. I, I so love my theater years here. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I've never worked professionally in Kansas City. I did plays in the community when I was in high school. I did plays over in Missouri when I was in school in Kansas. Uh, and I did semi-professional, that kind, but not, not with an equity card. Well, you've become so well-known in Buffalo and, and for, for so many reasons. And now, of course, because, you, you know, you're on the little screen every, every now and then, as I just said, you know, you flip on Law and & Order and all of a sudden there's the judge and, and you, you know, yeah. you've had a running. But, but you're so well-known as the, the, this Buffalo guy. And really, as you just said, you know, you, you were born and raised in, in Kansas City, Missouri. I was born in Missouri, but I was raised in Kansas. Mm -hmm. And I say that went to school in Kansas City, Kansas, because right. it's too Kansas City. You know, it's like a brick. Right. But 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 Buffalo is my artistic home. There's just no no you know if ands or buts about that. Sure. I I started out in a rep company in St. Louis, and when David Frank, who ran that rep company, left there and came to Studio oh. Arena, that's how I did my first uh, job in. And I I used to get job in once a year, and be a part of the Ray Flynn's group when the, oh the Ray Flynn's oh you know I go back to when there were two newspapers you know oh, I they, do too they I put do the too. paper to bed and come into Flynn's and we'd close the show or you know or end an evening and come in there so and they had to, to the, they had to buzz you in right right well that was I mean before they that came later the buzzing in came <laughs> after they tore up the street you know That's when, right. it, when the subway came. That's but right. there was no buzz back in the in the day. But uh, but when those two newspapers would uh, come in there at the end of of their work day, like around eleven or twelve at night, and the theater crowd would come out and be in there, and you could find out what the news was the next day, and had arguments across the you know spectrum of it. Because uh, people forget that was the Courier Express building right next yeah, door. Yeah, it's now the Catholic uh, Diocese building. Right. Right. But it was the Courier Express. But building. it was what a what a exciting, wonderful, vibrant community of arts, and it was a joy, just oh. a, a great joy. Well, you've already answered one question, but I want to go back because I wanted to talk about David Frank a little bit because he was so well known as the artistic director, and and how he happened to bring you here. But I did want to go back a little bit to your your schooling and and the first year of college, I went to Lincoln University. Say, so you went to Lincoln University just for a year, then you moved on to? To Juilliard. And then North Carolina, and then Purdue. Right. 
Wow. All right. I've got the I've got the timeline down now. But all the time, were you pursuing theatrical arts oh, the yeah, whole time? Yeah. I mean, well, no, not now. At uh, at Lincoln, did you go? At Lincoln, I was a part of a group called the Stage Crafters, but that was a after you know that was extracurricular. I was a math and political science major when I first went away to school. Oh. But I got to go away to school because of the director at Lincoln University. Mm-hmm. One of my high school teachers was also a stage crafter when he went to college. And so he said, I got I got somebody who'd be a great member of the stage crafters and he's got good grades in math <laughs> and uh, he's in my history class and he's, he gets good grades here. And so uh, as a math and political science double major, I went there, but I got to go because of the stage crafters. And, and that's when you had to, you, you couldn't go on stage until you knew how to build a, you, know, you had to work all the other positions and then you could get to be on the stage. So then how did you get from Lincoln to the group one at Juilliard? I had been doing a play. I went to the greatest high school in the world. I did say it was great high school. Mm-hmm. It was never integrated in terms of the student body, but it was integrated in terms of the faculty that happened. But when uh, it, before it got integrated in terms of the faculty the last year, but I had a, an, English and speech teacher who was a director of plays, a history teacher who directed plays, a poetry teacher who directed. I mean, there were a lot of people. They, we did a lot of show. I, I played Willie Loman in high school. Okay, oh, you got to understand. I mean, I, to say I played it, I, I was cast as Willie yeah, Loman in no, high school. I'm sure you played it. But we did that, and Most Happy Fella, uh, uh, operetta, and uh, I mean, it was just uh, a, a joy and, and arsenic and old lace and. So we, we did a lot of, it was all black high school and we did all these things. And uh, this teacher of mine was working on her master's degree and she directed a Raising in the Sun for University of Missouri, Kansas City. And I did that. And when I was at Lincoln, I was coming back and forth from Jefferson City, Missouri, the capital of Missouri. I was going back and forth from Jefferson City to Kansas City on weekends uh, rehearsing and doing Raising in the Sun. And the lady who ran the University of Missouri, Kansas City, was an old friend of John Houseman, who was starting the Juilliard School. I see. And when none of her regular students at her school were chosen, there was one one girl, but but no males, she asked my teacher who was working on her master's there saying, where's that colored boy that did that show, you know, (laughs) send him to Chicago, tell him he's from our school, because he'd never get to go if he was going, because I went to a historically black school. Lincoln University was founded by the Black Cavalry back in the day. So yeah. she said, but but he can go in as one of our students. So under the ruse of being a part of her school, I went to Chicago. My teacher and her husband paid for me to fly my first airplane. Oh, my I goodness. flew to Chicago and uh, auditioned for John Houseman and Michael Kahn, and I got accepted. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful teacher. So you go to Juilliard, you're in group one. They're starting, uh-huh. just starting this program. Yeah. And from there, you... Uh, I did two years there. Two years, okay. And it was, you know, got to understand now, I had been politicized. I had been to, to Lincoln University, and I had been down south, and I was uh, in Frankfort, Kentucky, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, and... Uh, the first time I saw the Klan come out on the 
campus of uh, this school. And, and so they were celebrating. They came on the campus of this all-black school, Kentucky State, and they were they had signs and stuff. I don't want to tell you what was on the signs, but they were celebrating the, this, this assassination. And uh, that's how we found out, because we were in, doing a show. And I was in charge of the, the stage door. At the time. I wasn't in the play, but I was uh, doing my duties, keeping people out of the, the back door. But then they started beating on the door so hard, I had to open it to say, you got to be quiet. We got... And that's when I, you know, found out uh, I was in the theater when I found out that Martin had been assassinated and I could see behind them the Klan in their full regalia. So I went to New York in 68 when the school was started. That was 1968, Mm -hmm. uh, 68, 69, 69 and 70. I was part of the first two years of the school. And then when uh, Kent State and Jackson State happened, by that time, I had been uh, introduced to Leroy Jones, uh, Amiri Baraka. We had been work. I've been over to Spirit House in Jersey, and uh, it just didn't seem the place to be at the time. And I had some some family problems, you know, money trying to trying to you know live in New York, even though I had the school was paid for, but I had to how to get an apartment, how sure. to you know do all that stuff. So I went to uh, I so I, w- I went home first. But then uh, I came back and a friend of mine who was in uh, North Carolina School of the Arts said, come on down, audition for, you know, the school here. So got on a bus and went down to North Carolina, not knowing how I I didn't have any (laughs) bus fare to come back. I only had a bus fare to go. This better work out. (laughs) And it did. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then I did that and, and the exchange program that went to Rose Bruford Academy and in London. So, you know, I went back and started studying again and then went to graduate school at uh, Purdue University, got an MA because they didn't have an MFA at the time. But I got my BFA from the years at Juilliard and the years at North Carolina School of North Carolina, yes, yes. And then then your master's from Purdue. From Purdue, yeah. Okay, now what's your first pro gig after all all of that? Well, actually, when I graduated from... uh, North Carolina School of the Arts, my first pro gig was playing Sitting Bull in Indians, a production of Indians okay. at uh, Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. They had a, a summer, uh, summer stock. professional company. Yeah, mm-hmm. summer, summer stock sort of thing. Then you never forget your first, your first, no. the first time you get that paycheck from uh, something no. that, that you love and thought, I, I can make money doing this? Oh, it's, yeah. Well, it meant a lot to my pops, I tell you, because... Um, I'm sure it did. He, he thought I was really... You know what I mean? Because he said, you got good grades in school, man, you know. And he... Um, you could be anything. Why? He worked for Armour's <laughs> Packing House, and so he was, a, he was a laborer, you know. But he knew that I got good grades in school, and he thought that I had a good chance of being an inspector, a government inspector, to put the USDA... Uh indelible stamp on me because that was like what he thought they walked through after all this bloody terrible work they do and these guys come in with white coats mm-hmm. and stamp for him that was oh, that was the pinnacle man, that's for him. it that's what he wanted for me a government job yeah, a government <laughs> job man and uh <laughs> but when he found out uh, there was a union for actors and he said aflcio i said oh yeah oh, oh yeah they can say, well, maybe, maybe you'll make something out of it. Maybe so. <laughs> and so 1982, David Frank, and as you already mentioned, 
he had worked, or he had seen your work previously. Oh yeah, no, I was see, I was in the rep company. I was in his company yes. down there in, in St. Louis. He, they, they, we had a resident company. So he remembered your work from there. And I was in the resident company from 1976 to 1981. I was mm -hmm. in the resident company down there. And he remembered you. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I jobbed in from time to time. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, so now you're you're in Buffalo to do Of Mice and Men. Mm -hmm. uh, from from my research, you, you were on and off at the studio arena for about, what, 10 years or so? No, I actually wasn't that long. I did from 81 till I, I moved to town in 87. 87. I'm, yes, when I got the job at, at UB. At UB. So, right. yeah, so it was, a, a you know, about, about five, six years. I came in at least once a year, did a show, and lived above the Your Host there on Main Street and uh, <laughs> down the street from Flynn's. And <laughs> How convenient. Where, yes. Yes, very convenient, yes. <laughs> and were yeah. you, where were you, had you been based before that, before you settled down here in Buffalo? My wife and I, uh, we married in Indianapolis. Then, you know, got I was part of the rep company in St. Louis. So we lived, uh, and, and then my son was born in, uh, in Iowa when my wife worked for John Deere. I see. So, uh, and I worked the Chicago scene. That's why I, I, I lived, uh, you know, the Midwest from Indianapolis to St. Louis and Iowa. Those were my my homes until I moved to Buffalo. So it was the position at uh, UB in the in the Department of, of Theater and Dance yeah. that really cemented your relationship with Buffalo. You were Absolutely. going to, yeah, you were going to be yeah. a professor there and Yeah, the great Saul Elkin. Oh, the great yes. Saul Elkin. One of my favorite people ever. Well, he <laughs> should be. What a great guy. Uh, yeah. I do have uh, my information says that and and I, I found this fascinating that in 1992 uh, you played the role of Troy from Fences at yeah. Studio Arena, yeah. And that's yeah. where I got the that's where I got the ten years thing because eighty two for Of Mice and Men, and then ninety two uh, to, to, for for Fences. And and the thing is, before I played Troy in ninety two, I played Bono the role that I did in the film in, in film. Denver the year that I did um, Joe Turner's Coming Gone. Yeah, okay. I had, you know, every now and then you have one of those great years that the tumblers just fall together. Yes. And I had a year where I did The Boys Next Door, Antigone, Joe Turner's Come and Gone, and Fences. Wow. And right in a row, I did The Boys Next Door down in Pennsylvania where um, Gene Stapleton, you know, who who was on yes, uh, from All in the, the Family. All in the Family. She yeah. and her husband, Bill Putch, ran a theater called the Totem Pole Playhouse down there. And uh, I was cast uh, in uh, The Boys Next Door. And then I came to back to Buffalo and did uh, with Saul, the wonderful production of Antigone with the great Lonnie Hill and and, uh, and the chorus. I'm uh, I'm pretty sure I saw that. Oh, what a great was chorus. Oh God, yeah. all those actors. I mean, cause Manny was in it and and Laverne Clay and Diane Camerata, uh, Jim Santella. Jim uh, Santella. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, I, I, you know, what a cast. Jerry Finnegan, Bess Brown. Oh, that's a beautiful. Yeah, it was a quite an experience. And then we did Joe Turner's Come and Gone, which is one of the greatest plays of the century of last century. 
So I had done a couple of August Wilson's plays before I met him, and then I did a few more after, and then then I got to work with him. Well, that was my next question, because I know that you formed this relationship with him around Jitney. Was it 96, I think? And you had taken it from Pittsburgh to... Absolutely. You know, all over the country, and then to London, if, yeah. if I... If Man, I'm you correct. won the Olivier Award for that one. How did that relationship start? Well, you know, he uh, bummed a cigarette from me, pretty much. <laughs> no, uh, it was uh, back when we were both smoking. But um, but what it was is I had just left Totem Pole Playhouse in Pennsylvania, where I did The Boys Next Door. Mm-hmm. And I was coming through Pittsburgh uh, because I, I wanted to see some of the streets and see the Hill District. And I knew we were about to do Joe Turner's Come and Gone. And I wanted to just kind of get a flavor for the the area that August wrote about. And um, I went into town and found that he was speaking at this church the very next day. And I so I got a hotel room and it said in the paper, August Wilson will be speaking at one o'clock at St. Benedict the Moors Church, his family mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I said, oh, this is what I do. You know, I'll <laughs> stay overnight, get up, pack sure. my stuff, you know, get out, check out at noon, go over to, to the church. And I get over there well early and there's no cars anywhere. I don't see anybody, you know. And then I go up to the church door and a woman's coming out of the door and she says, can I help you? And I said, well, I'm coming to hear August Wilson speak at the one o'clock. And she said, you didn't read that in the black paper. You must have read that in the, in the, in the, the regular paper. I said, yeah. <laughs> she said, well, they say they made a mistake. She said, I don't know, but he spoke here at 11 o'clock. Oh, no. And we had the thing and everything, you know, and everybody's, you know, cleared by now. Sure. So I said, oh, man. She said, so uh, I said, I guess I'll go on back to Buffalo. And she says, wait a minute, wait a minute, you from Buffalo? I said, yeah, yeah, I live in Buffalo. And she said, do you know Kashmir Ellis? There's an actor up there named <laughs> Kashmir Ellis. And I said, yeah, I know Kashmir. And she said, well, if you take a message to Kashmir, I'll introduce you to my brother. And it was August Wilson's sister. Oh, my goodness. And oh, so she goodness. took me to where his next engagement was in the Homewood. And she went over there and she was really bothering because he was talking to all these people and she kept interrupting him saying, there's a guy here from, from <laughs> Buffalo. You got to talk to you him. You got to talk see to this him. guy. Yeah. And then she said, and he knows Kashmir. And when I saw her, when she said that, because I was saying she's bothering him, but they had been looking for Kashmir for some time uh, ah. because Kashmir's brother had been married to her sister, their sister, and when the sister and brother uh, broke up, they said, well, you know, we divorced his brother, but we didn't divorce Kashmir. We want to know where Kashmir is. He's a great guy. And I said, oh, yeah, he is. So she yeah. said, you take the message. I'll get the message to, to him. Kashmir, yeah. I'll do it. And then at, uh, August came over and and we st- stood on the corner there after everybody left and just talked and talked and talked about theater and poetry and just all kinds of stuff. And then uh, about a year later, I had an audition in New York for Jitney. For Jitney. And I got to part, and I expected him to remember me, but he didn't <laughs> from, from oh, Pittsburgh. But oh, I reminded oh, him I reminded him of a story that went on when we were on the corner there. And then he said, oh, that's it, man. That's who was standing with me. I was trying to remember 
who was I with when such and such and such? <laughs> it was you. I said, yeah, it was me. Who was the cashmere me messenger? Yeah, right, right. You know, <laughs> from that time to his death, uh, you know, we were uh, we were acquaintances. You were acquaintances. It was hard for me to accept how close I was to him and how how you know much he appreciated me as an actor and as a as a person, because I was always in awe when I was around him, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it became it became very clear that uh, we were tight. I really want to get into the film and TV work, but I do have a question about when you were when you were teaching at UB, how did you manage going out of town, coming back and teaching and going out of town and coming back and teaching? Because well, I know you were very busy, very active in the theater at that point. I don't I don't even uh -huh. know if your you know your film and television career began at that point. So how did that work? How did that well, how did you I can, I can I can give it to you as best I can here. Um first I started working in Denver, okay, because of a guy named Israel Hicks who was on faculty at Purchase. And he would direct only during the Christmas break because he was the head of the program at Purchase. And he fixed his rehearsals around the break. Oh. And so I was able to do the two plays I did there of August, uh, uh, the Bono in Fences and Red Carter in Seven Guitars. And then I would have to have someone take my classes the first two weeks mm -hmm. of the semester. I see. And because I had colleagues that were willing to, first of all, allow me to do it, because it was all in department, and that, uh, and Cashmere and Richard West. Richard West. And they were two of the actors in town who were credentialed and who uh, took, took my classes for those few weeks and, you know, were, were compensated for it. So because of the colleagues not all of whom were, were thrilled with it, but <laughs> but enough. But you had enough who were willing to enough who were out. willing to allow me to do that, and also and Joyce uh, Stilson as well, who uh, uh, would would uh, help me, you know, cover the classes. And I was teaching, you know, twice a week. Then yes. Then after that, I didn't go out of town for a while until we did Jitney in the summer of 96. Okay. So when that happened and the show was a success in Pittsburgh in 96, I went to the Dean and, and I explained, I said, well, you know, they want to move forward with this show and I just like to get closure with it. I don't want to lose this role. And he said, well, yeah, it, you can, you know, you can do that. And, and he says, so, but, but it's a play you're doing in Pittsburgh. What, what's the big deal? And I said, well, it's by August Wilson. And he was not, you know, familiar. He was, I mean, he was the Dean of Arts and Letters. Sure. But I didn't expect him to know. To know what, everything about. Anything. So uh, he he did his research and he said, oh, this guy's, this guy's a Pulitzer Prize winner. He's <laughs> this, won two, this is a, this two is a big Pulitzer deal. Prizes. Uh -huh. And he says, yeah, and all of his shows go to Broadway. Or I said, well, they have. <laughs> and of course, I'm in the one that didn't go. But we went to... London and got the Olivier. So that ain't, you know, that ain't small potatoes. No. But, but we did it in 14 venues across the country. So he said he would, literally, he he said, until you get closure on this project. And the project went on for six years. Oh. It went from 1996 <laughs> to 2002. 
And I so see. during that time, I took leaves without pay. And, and that was something that they had said, wait a minute, we got to be clear here now. You are willing to take a leave <laughs> and get no pay. Let's get you know, this on paper get somewhere. Get this on paper. So we got it on paper. <laughs> and so I would teach one semester. I see. And I had to teach a semester ahead. In other words, I teach one semester for half pay and then get the other half of the pay the rest of the year when I wasn't teaching. Okay. And then I would take a leave without pay when the show went past the one semester. So I was literally teaching one semester on and one semester off. And if the play I was in extended past that one semester, then I had to take a leave without pay for the year. Now the law and orders, they were uh, really easy because in me, I'm just doing the judge. So I would go down and uh, usually take the train down or or one of those buses through the night and uh, go down and, uh, and for a while I auditioned. But after a couple of auditions, I was just in the judge pool. And I'd get, my agent would get a call and say, they want you to do a judge again. And I, <laughs> and, uh, and I could literally schedule it around my couple classes, you know, because it was, it was a day or two days at the most that, that we shot. And you were doing maybe a Tuesday, Thursday class. Right, so you, exactly. could go, you could go down Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And, right, and right, right. And, and, I, and I could get, because my class was in it, so they would say, you know, we'll meet. If it came on a day I had a class, we'd make up the class on another day. Mm-hmm. You see, so I made it work for a while. And then after Tower Heist. The film Tower yeah, Heist. Tower Heist. I literally was, because I had now become uh, tenured and I had chaired the department and I had a, a lighter a load of teaching when I was chairing the department. So I was able to still do my chair duties for a while. And then I literally taught one semester on and one semester off. I got that from from the dean. That was in 2011, Tower Heist. Right, right, Tower Heist. And then Lincoln, after that, I think, Lincoln, to work with Spielberg. I mean, that's when, and Tower Heist was a joy. I mean, you look at that cat, man, I tell you. uh, To this day, and I see, Alan Alda, he and his wife, and, and Judd Hirsch, I see him in an airport or something, he comes over. And, and you know, Ben Stiller, I met oh, Ann Mira during the time we were shooting that. And uh, it was just a great group of people. Eddie Murphy, I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous group of people, man. So now you've got that in 2011, you've got Lincoln with Spielberg yeah. in 2012. Yeah. And at a certain point, do you relinquish your duties? No, I mean, uh, it was, uh, I retired in uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. But um, I was able to shoot these projects. First of all, Tower Heist really fit really wonderfully because uh, they wanted me to stay in New York with the rest of the cast. But I, uh, I would stay for, when I, you know, I'd look at my shooting schedule and see, the, the difficult thing about being in Buffalo and working in New York is not making the job work, it's getting the job. That's the hard <laughs> part. See, the hard thing is, is being able to go down for an audition, go back for a call back, show up when they say mm-hmm. show up. You know, Because once you sign and they, you've got the job, then you've got a little wiggle room, not with them, I mean, because they got to shoot on sure. their schedule. But now you can figure out what your conflicts are. 
I see. So I was, and and I and and all those roles were really nice supporting roles. You know, yes. they weren't like you know. Now when you start to get to the fences, you know, and Ladybird a little bit, and uh, you know, yeah, that's when things you you got to start working around their schedule. But by that time, I was retired. I mean, uh, I retired in uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. I think it was. Yeah, that's when we shot. Lady Bird was 2017, so right, right. We had fences, and and they were shooting. Uh, so I got to spend a wonderful lunch with Chadwick when he was shooting uh, Thurgood here, because they had offered me something in that, and I was shooting in Pittsburgh. I was I was working on fences, so I couldn't. But I knew that Chadwick was in town, so when we finished, we wrapped on fences before they finished with Thurgood. So I was able to see him uh, uh, for lunchtime because I had done one of his films. See, he went to film school. A lot of people don't know. He went to film school as well. You know, he made film. And so when he was a student doing a a film in New York, he came to, uh, I think I was doing a Ma Rainey with Whoopi Goldberg and Rock. And uh, he said on on my day off, he asked if I would shoot his his project that he had a, a film project, you know, for school. And I did. And the mm-hmm. weather, and he had all kinds of problems. So it ended up my whole day off. I mean, you know, you work on Broadway, you get one day off. Uh. And he took the whole day. I mean, not, I mean, overtime at all, you know. Yes. So, but I was glad to do it for him because uh, he was such a wonderful cat. He was just what a, a talent. What a and, talent. And he always, always, always thanked me for doing that. He was just, and I would tell him, I said, man, you know, it's cool. But uh, he was uh, close with, um, August's daughter, I think they went to Howard University together. Oh. And she put him in touch with me, uh, Sakina. So, you know, it was just, it's that, that small world, you know. Small world again. Well, yeah. I, you know, we should, I, I, we sort of skipped over Fences on, on Broadway with Denzel. And that was... And uh, Viola Davis. And Viola Davis. Oh, my God. Well, of course, I didn't see it on Broadway, but I certainly yeah. have the film. I have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, And, and Michael I, T. The, uh, most Michael of the T. Cast, right. Yeah, I mean, and Russell Hornsby, who I'd done uh, Jitney with years before, you know. And but, uh, it, 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 so there was the, the Tony nomination, which, of yeah. course, we were all just... Steven, Steve is on the, the Tonys. We were yeah, all excited about that. And and yeah. and then you did you you did win uh, the Richard Seff Award. The Seff Award, which is which is from the Actors Equity Foundation, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's that's a pretty that's oh, a pretty I, I big mean, deal. I tell you what, you know, the thing is, is a wonderful thing uh, to win that, and, uh, and 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 for 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 supporting actor who's been in the business twenty five years or more. You have to. It's it's an equity gives it and uh, for for veterans who are you know on or off Broadway people who've done distinguished work for a while yeah and uh, that and also the the virtuoso award when we did the film that's an incredible honor in the Santa Barbara International Film Festival because in fact uh, it was uh, Viola's husband Julius he said man. You, 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 you're going to get one of the virtuosos, man. You get to go down to Santa Barbara. He <laughs> says, that's the best, man. I said, what do you mean? Julius, he said, well, you know, everybody wins. So they only tell you, you know, you're not like up against these other six or seven people. You all get the award. You all get an interview. You all get the thing. And uh, and six of the, I think it was eight people my year, six or seven. But the, the six of the people were all nominated for an Oscar. 
and it was only two of us uh, who got the virtuoso award who uh, who wasn't nominated for an Oscar. So it, it's it, it was really nice. But it, again, it was that meeting with August in Pittsburgh that was kind of still going on. Isn't that something, the connection? And then yeah. and then you take it from Fences on Stage to Fences the Film. And yeah. so that was, again, it's like all, all connected and all yeah. back to that initial yeah. meeting. And now, have you finished? Because this is so exciting to me, as I've already told you. I'm a science fiction fan. I even uh. like I even like the David Lynch version because that's how crazy I am. Thufir Howitt. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, there's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, Thufir Howitt in in Dune is huge. I, I are you still filming that? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it depends on what you mean by that. The thing <laughs> is, we filmed it and then we went back. We filmed it last year, and then we went back this year in August. Went back to Budapest and did some additional photography. I see. And it wasn't retakes. It wasn't anything that we had filmed that needed to be redone. It was literally Denis Villeneuve, who is just an incredible, oh, director. incredible director. And yes. he had been given carte blanche with this, and uh, so we did some additional photography on it. And it's being done in two parts. You probably know, right? I I had heard that. I didn't know if it was officially. Oh yeah, no, no. So the film was only to be the first half of the book. Wise decision. And, and and because the others have had to truncate, you know, I mean, it's very oh. difficult to, you know. The book uh, is, is like this. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's too And it's and, uh, dense. It's, it's yeah. so oh, much going it's, on. Oh, so rich. And uh, so we did the, the first half of it and completely expected at the time we were doing it that we would be talking about this now. It would be opening, you know, in a week or so right but uh because of uh you know covid, COVID uh it's now set to release october 1st i think oh my god that far away wow. yeah and and i just heard that it will be released both in theaters and on, on HBO, hbo max, max. I just Ooh. read that in the paper today that all of the right. all of the warner brothers and all of those films are going to be released simultaneously in theaters and on Right. HBO Max. Right. And I think that there is, I'm sure that there's an IMAX version. Mm. Because believe me, Peter, these sets. <laughs> oh, man. This, I'm so this, excited just talking about it. This thing, uh, I, I remember turning to Josh uh, Brolin, who, you know, he he worked in uh, in Rochester for a while. He used to work in Jeeva oh, back I in the day. Mm -hmm. He's a young actor. He That's where he kind of got his teeth. You know, I said, man, I never thought I'd be on the set of the Ten Commandments when I was a kid. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like you're on the set of the Ten Commandments. Oh, are, I can believe it. Yeah. It's uh, it, it is quite uh, the sets for Arrakis up. for the for the planet Dune must have been oh, spectacular, man. spectacular, and and the and the. The flying machines, woo, baby! Oh, the flying man. machines. Well, now, if if they're doing it in two parts, are they? Is this where they filmed both parts together? You're contracted for the entire story, but they're splitting it into two films. Is that does that yeah. right, the, way right. I, the way we're looking at this? Right. Wow, that's very exciting. It's uh, uh, and you know Timothy. Yes, Chalamet. Man, what a career this guy 
yes. what he's got already and what he's got ahead of him, you know, I don't want to jinx him, but what a wonderful cat, a uh, wonderful guy. And his mom, did see, this is what was great. Uh, <laughs> we're on the set and Timothy comes to me and he says, uh, hey man, you know, I hate to bother you with this. I said, what is it, Timmy? He said, man, my mom wants to meet you, man. She says she's got to come. <laughs> and I, I'm on the set with Oscar Isaacs, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, <laughs> Jason Momoa. I mean, this is the, you know, Momoa. this is great. Mom and, wants to meet you. Scores guard, all of that. And uh, Scars guard, and he said, mom wants to meet you because she was on the Tony committee. <gasps> and she said, man, you know, I've, senior work he says i can't believe you didn't get for this you didn't get nominated for that you didn't win it i said oh listen i'm glad i'm working you know she said oh i know that every actor she says but what she was saying to me she says i want to ask a favor of you and i said what she says you know he's never done a play (gasps) and i just i just i just want you to put it in his ear you know a thing and i say i said you know you don't have to worry about that He's got time, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, there's no need to push Timothy Chalamet to stop his role, you know what I mean, right now, because there's no question, because he loves the stage. He can talk, you know, mm-hmm. so he's going to do one. In fact, he was... It's inevitable. Right after that, he was cast in a show in London, and they were in rehearsal for the show when COVID came, uh, and they closed down, so they couldn't uh, do it. But yeah, and one of the roles he wants to do <laughs> is a parrot. A role is called parrot in The Iceman Cometh. Oh, the young boy goodness. in Iceman Cometh, you know? Yes. That's one of his favorites. And he, he told me a couple of two or three of his his dream roles, you know, and I told him a couple of, man, you got to look at this, look at that. You know, the, he's a he's a joy. And, and Oscar Isaacs, man, and the cast, oh. it's international cast. And I was in, this is the thing. I had a year, like I say, every now and then this year comes along. And I I was in two international casts, Debs and, and Doom. And I got a phone call from Halle Berry. Oh, dear. And you know about this, right? I I do know. I was go- I was going to get to it, but I can't. Oh no, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't I, talk about me... Halle Berry without my heart starting yeah. to beat a little oh, bit a little well, bit faster. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. So she. <laughs> this calls, is bruised, right? This yeah, is a... bruised. And she calls and uh, and she says, "Listen, I I I hope you don't mind. I got your phone number from uh, Stephen Adley Gerges, the the writer yes. who who wrote the the play that." won the Pulitzer and I got my OB, you know, for mm-hmm. between Riverside and crazy. Yes. And she said, I hope you don't mind. And I said, Oh yeah, I'm going to call him and give him a real hard time. I said, how dare he give my phone number to Halle Berry. He'll never hear the last of this. And she laughed, you know, but she said, I'm directing my first film and I will be starring in it. And there's a role that I just wanted to personally call and invite you. I hope you can do it. She said, it's going to be an independent project. And I don't know if your manager's an agent in a year that you're doing these big films. And I said, I said, listen, you're not going to have any trouble out of anybody that represents me. I will get them straight. (laughs) Don't worry about the offer. Don't worry about the money. It's none of that to get this call. And for her to say, 
She says, I've seen you on stage and I know that this part, I, I just want you. And I said, I'd be glad to be in your corner. You know, I'd love to be in your corner when you do direct your first film, you know. Yes. Little did I realize, and she said, oh, it's funny you should say that because that's exactly what I want you to be. I want you to be my corner man because I have to do these fights. And and uh, wow. so you're going to be in my corner. <laughs> <laughs> so and all metaphors aside, you're yeah, going to be in my corner. You're gonna be, and when, when it's right, man, it's just right. You oh, know, that is wonderful. That's oh, God, that is so exciting. Well, from Dune, the biggest movie to come out in the next two years easily. And One then you're going to do yeah. this small independent film with yeah. Halle Berry. And uh, uh, well, like you said, it was a good year. Yeah, good year. That's what <laughs> well, he used, they say. It's a vacation, man. You know, because you're working, but you know, come on. Oh, yeah. You know, well, you know, Liam Neeson. He said something I never forget. He said, uh, you know, you read the script and you think, oh, this is wonderful, and then you get to shooting it, and it's like, oh my god, you know, you working. <laughs> he says, you know, you don't want to badmouth anybody, but you know, he said, oh my god. How could they do this to this wonderful script that I read? You know, right, right. But he said, "What they?" He says, "The reason I asked for money," he says, "because that's what a year from the time you had that terrible experience, you're gonna have to go around Ooh, if you're the star of the thing and promote it. You're gonna have to go around and say, oh yeah, this and that and that.'" Uh. He said. That's what I charged for, he said. <laughs> Not the working on the, you know, I, I charged to have to go around. Oh, that's a great and, story. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he got me. And that, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Oh, because I've often it. thought about that. Because you know, when, when you're watching them on Colbert or something, you know that they know if the film's a dog and they have to, but they have to be there to promote it. And that must be... So and you know, sometimes it's not even that the film's a dog, it's that you didn't enjoy doing it because uh, someone made it your a life chore. a living hell. <laughs> they just made it a such a say, and you know, life could go on so much easier yes. without having that person that has to have, you know, it has to be hurting terribly. You know? Yes, so, yes. You know. Well, I I don't want to say goodbye to you, uh, but I have to. But I, I do want to talk just very briefly about your connection with Road Less Traveled, because after all, this is their podcast, really. I'm just, a, I'm just a voice here, and um, your your connection with them that goes back all the way to what interrogation room, I guess, and with with D. Perry in 2003, and then you were on the board briefly, and now you still serve. And and this is such an incredible resource to have a person like you. And I know you serve in advisory capacity for other theaters, uh, Jiva yeah, for a time, Jiva, uh -huh. and, and so on. And and I know Scott treasures your friendship and your advice and whatever whatever advisory position you you can hold with him. He and John Elston were uh, when I met these two young men, I knew that 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 they were really good for this town and for the theater on a larger scale as well. They and, are you real go-getters. They, yeah, yeah. Scott's making things happen. Oh and, yeah. And Scott's, you know, he's not just a force here. He's a force in New York as well. He went about his path in that way. He, he could have gone because he had a position that could have led quite a different road, but he definitely wanted to do. He wanted to come back to Buffalo and do it. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Alec, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin, Baldwin sure. and th their friendship. Well, the whole thing that you were that you were instrumental in helping him form the American Masters program. Yeah, Eric Bogosian came to town and Stephen, Stephen came. Uh, and then you and, as well yeah. were at a certain point that were in uh, two, 2011. I mean, you were instrumental in helping him form that whole concept, which has brought, uh, well, just recently, Sean Cullen and, and many people from the, the outside yeah. world into Buffalo. The Scott can tell the story the best, better than anybody, but it's his drive that has made the company and and he's just always got the ideas and I, I love it. He does. I love it when he comes to run things by me and we have a, a session and he goes away with that look in his eye, you know, and he said, Yeah, man, thank you. I say, I don't really know what I said, but I know I said something because he I can see that look, man, you know? Yeah. And, and you can, the wheels start turning. You can just you just yeah. know that he's got something on the burner somewhere. Something yeah. something's cooking somewhere and yeah uh, and uh, he's got the great support at home with betsy and 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 ruby, and ruby uh, yeah. you know mm -hmm. it's uh that that's that that's an important part of it and he's got a company uh, a loyal wonderful you know they may not be a resident company but they because they 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 work at all the theaters in town that's right but every every actor in the town is glad to to, to be part of the ensemble yes. yeah I, yeah i i am one of them and i'm i'm very proud of that well, listen, I cannot thank you enough for this. This has been a pleasure. It's been a treat. So many great stories I, I have enjoyed. I don't know how I'm going to edit this down to uh, 45 minutes. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll... Well, you, you, tell you, you know, I mean, I, I don't think we said anything that'll get me arrested. So. <laughs> now I'm not worried about that. Okay. But, uh, but I, so everything's good in your family. We didn't even talk about your wife. Who, well, who, who she was working at at, at the Cornell Institute, uh -huh, uh -huh. right? Yeah, and she's, she's retired doing, recently. She's doing good. Yeah, she's doing fine. Uh, Nobody's, everybody's healthy. No, I got I got family in Kansas City, and you know I've got family your son, in California. Jamal? Well, yeah, Jamal's doing fine. Jamal is doing great, <laughs> and the three grandkids and his wife. Oh my goodness, they're all yeah. I got I got three of them there, and they down. They're doing they're doing they're doing great. Well, Stephen McKinley Henderson, I cannot thank you enough. I, I'll turn the TV on tonight. I know I'll I'll see you somewhere. I, you know, probably not. <laughs> well, well, you know, but we end up we end up watching so much, so much film and TV since this whole pandemic hit. Oh yeah, yeah. That so. it's you know I'll turn on as I told you that devs thing. I just happened to catch it, and did not expect you to pop up, and and there you were. But I'm sure I will see you. I hope I see you in person soon. And I thank you so much for doing this. Same here, my friend. And uh, congratulations, man. It's so exciting to have you here in Buffalo and to know that this is where you're based and, and oh, yeah. you're still going out to Budapest and, and, and wherever to film these huge films. Well, and, Buffalo I, has just been, uh, it's an artistic home. That's all yeah, I can say. It's, it really it is. is. Well, my best to you and your wife. Again, thank you. All I right. hope to see you again soon. Stay safe. So long now. Bye-bye. Well, that guy's had a fascinating life, and he's going to have a more fascinating life after he speaks to Halle Berry about me. And I'm sure he will mention me to her. Uh, listen, before we go, let's sneak in one quick surprise guest. And it's none other than Kristen Tripp Kelly talking to you about one of her favorite roles here in the Buffalo Theater community. 
So, Chris and Trip Kelly, what was your favorite role ever? And I know that's an impossible question because your favorite role is the one you just finished or the one that's coming <laughs> up. So search back in your memory and hit on one that might have been special. Yeah, it is impossible. I would say there's a handful of roles that just kind of hold steady at the top of my list and they're apples and oranges. They all... Well, you can't do that. You have to pick one. I know I'm going to, I'm going to. And I think the one that's rising to the top, probably because you're asking this question, is Sarah Goodman from Time Stand Still. That oh, my Lord. wonderful show we did together at the CAF. I loved years it. Ago. You know, starting with the script. I know you are also a Donald Margulies fan. fan. We Huge both got fan. his autograph when yep. he came to RLTP. Yeah. I mean, he wrote her a beautiful arc and such an incredible range of emotions to play. And she's smart and complicated. And I loved the physical challenge of that role, learning to deal with the brace and the crutch and painting on my scars every night. It was such a full body experience. His scripts and, are so rich and, yeah. and natural and brilliantly written. Yeah, and add to the character arc the the dialogue yes. that I got to play with you and Chrissy and um, Guy, Guy every night. Sure. I mean, it was fireworks. It was such a joy. Well, since that's your choice, I have to ask this question. Okay. Tell us all what happened on the, the day before the show. No, I'm sorry. The day of the show or the day of the first preview or the day it was opening night and they told you you could no longer use the F word. Peter, Remember I forgot that? all about that. And I, and I, oh my, I said, I'm not using it. I changed all my script weeks ahead of time because I was yeah. sure this was going to happen. Oh my and, God. And you were smart. And it sure, well, I don't know if I was smart. I was scared to death that I was going to have to go through what you then had to go through because all yeah. of a sudden it was like, all right, you're performing in two hours. Change yeah. your dialogue so that they're put in different swears, put in different exclamations. Yeah, yeah. So, I had to sit down. I sat down with Norm and we started at the top of the script and made oh, our way to the end. And I remember there was one moment where I just refused to say anything. I thought there is nothing that could <laughs> replace the F bomb at this moment. It was absolutely what the playwright intended. And so I said, I'm just going to try and do this with silence and F you, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> we, we, and we had done it for two, you know, we had done the, the whole rehearsal process with it and a couple of previews, if, if I if I remember. And damn guy, he he's, because he's doing British, he just switches everything to bloody. Right. Oh, bloody, you right. bloody idiot, you know, and, and <laughs> so the, good, good for you. You can say bloody, but the rest of us are all struggling i wasn't as lucky <laughs> oh my gosh yeah you forgot that about you bring that. that up i can still feel the tension yeah. yes it was yes. nerve-wracking it, it totally was, nerve was but it was a great character and just a lovely and that set was spectacular oh my the set the set felt like home and i never felt so sad to see a set be torn apart i remember coming into the theater after it had been disassembled, just being like genuinely sad to see it gone. Yeah, yeah. We were so comfortable up there. 
Yeah, it was beautiful and comfortable and easy to work with. And yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Good to see you, my friend. Nice to see you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. No, don't bring up the ringing in my ears again. I'm sure once he's gone, it'll be everything will be better. It'll have to be better. Kristen Tripp Kelly, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Kyle Locanti. Another great episode. At least I think it's a great episode. I'm having a wonderful time listening to these people. And I hope you are too. Listen, folks, make sure you patronize your local restaurants. Throw in a little extra tip for the staff. They can all use it. And we're going to get through this. The vaccinations have started. And uh, sooner or later, we will be back to normal. And I know you're thinking, what is normal for this guy? Well, it's none of your damn business what's normal for me. Trust me, the way I've been living the past year, it's not too much different from my normal life. It's uh, sad but true. Listen, we'll see you in a couple weeks with another episode of RLTP's Off-Road. In the meantime, go to roadlesstraveledproductions.org, get yourself some merchandise, Take care of yourself. We're so close to the end of this. Don't screw it up now. Thanks for listening, my friends. You'll hear from me again in a couple of weeks here on Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.